0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Fiona Johnson, CEO of media agency UM Australia. Welcome, Fiona. Hi, Darren. Thank you. Uh, Look, it's terrific to have you here. First of all, uh, congratulations last year on being the (laughs) runner-up in the CEO magazine CEO of the year. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. No, but look, I think that's uh, you know you 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 giggled or laughed then, but you know for someone running a media agency Mm. to be that highly acclaimed Mm. amongst CEOs, I think is really, really special. You know, I think that uh, it's a tough job, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of it. I I joke because the the runner up signpost after it is just quite uh, amusing, but I'm still incredibly proud of it. And it was something that that I was encouraged to do and I'm glad I did, because it's not often that I do put myself out into uh, the ether like that. And I think it's important for all of us. It's evidence of the work of the team, really that you can put a case together to show what it's like to lead that team. So, yeah, super proud of it.
0: And really, I think, you know, media agencies especially, to be able to build high-performing teams and to hold them together is a significant challenge compared to some other businesses,
1: isn't it? Absolutely. It's very dynamic. It changes. And, uh, yeah, we're one of the most professional and emotional industries I know. And so that, in a way, creates attention very naturally on how you manage the business.
0: It's interesting you say that because a lot of people would sit back and view sort of the creative side and the media side and say, yes, creatives more the emotional creative mm. side mm. and media is more about numbers. But it's not true, is it? Creativity no. exists equally in both.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And having run both, I think there's a, there's still that lovely tension of you know creative agencies have more of that emotional glue, maybe, but I mean. Yeah, I, I see that in every single media agency or company I've ever been a part of. Um, I, I just, I guess it expresses in different ways. I think that media companies are incredibly passionate about doing things the right way at the right time. Um, and creative agencies, are similar, but absolutely the content and the product and the output. So uh, both crafts are equally emotive, I think, if you care about what you do. And I've, well, I've, I've definitely made a purpose of being somewhere where we care about what we do.
0: Because mm. uh, one of the things that I always notice is when the industry talks about people, mm. um, and there's a, there's rightly a real focus on yeah. developing people. Okay, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit more. But one of the issues that comes up is um, the retention yeah. that the industry suffers from. You know, and and certainly it seems from the numbers that we get from the places like the MFA, yeah. the media agencies really do have issues around re- not just uh, attracting people but then retaining good people. Yeah. Is that fair to say?
1: I think that it's definitely fair to say in this market particularly. I think the talent pool, I've been here over 12 years now, and the talent pool has always been a challenge, both the size of it and the training ground of it, if you like. So I think the you start with that basis it's also a long way from anywhere. So it's hard to attract different types of talent, which is really important. I'd like to have a bunch of people that are representative from all walks of life and all parts of the world. And then you layer that, I think, with quite an emotive state of business, which then performs in a way that's very responsive to client needs, which are very changeable. And so you end up with a very dynamic workforce that cares about what it does and therefore we can at times be at the strain of changing client needs, which is great because we're responsive, but equally challenging when you can't get the cadence of the business to run around that um, changing need. And that's something that I'm actually actively working on at the moment. But So I think there's all those market Mm. component parts in place. I also think that we haven't been great historically at putting proper LD budgets into businesses. It's something I've always been very passionate about and continue to be, hence why we've put in ahead of people and well-being in QM. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have... And people say it's a young industry, and that's also why the term, because you can't really grow up or grow old in our industry. You eventually have to get out of it. But I'd like to think that's not the case. There's so many brilliant uh, people in there middle or later years that can apply a lot of really critical perspective to what we do Mm. and how we do it so yeah I I think churn is high higher than I'd like it to be for a number of reasons ours is lower than average I'm sure every agency says that but ours is lower than average Um, and I think part of that is the nature of the beast as much as it is we could always invest more in people Mm. I'd love to invest more in people
0: well, because you know it's in some ways lip service where everyone goes, oh, it's a people business. Yeah. Often talking about marketing and advertising. Yeah. Um, and yet it's also one that can be incredibly harsh on people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, as you say, you know, it, I think I see too many situations where large intake of graduates. Mm-mm. And then it's almost like a uh, Darwinian natural selection as to who actually rises up because mm. the structures of almost every agency mm. have become incredibly flat mm. with very few positions at the top for, for those, you know, that, that make it.
1: Mm. Which is why I think the whole model has to change in some shape or form because that will allow different hubs of excellence in different parts, more like a professional business, professional services mm. business, then that sort of pyramid. If you like, that would uh, definitely make it easier to manage longevity. I mean, I, I want people to come into UM and have the best careers they could possibly have. And, you know, even if that's for, well, I hope it's for a very long time. We've got lots of very long service people in our business, anything up to 20 years. Um, but... If they are unheard of, long service leave in a media agency. I I won't call them out because they'll be super embarrassed. They also might quite (laughs) like it. (laughs) But also they
0: might think that that puts a target on their (laughs) back.
1: No, no, no. Unfunded uh,
0: liability. um,
1: They are uh, critical to our culture and our product. That's for sure the people I'm thinking about anyway. Okay. Um, But I think that there is um, an opportunity within the business to change the model of how we do it so it Mm -hmm. can be Flatter to your point, but also to have more, I guess, more uh, healthy relationships with some client bases around how we work in partnership. I still think there's a hangover within the agency and the client relationship that is, you know, supply and demand or service versus partner, Mm -hmm. and where we've fought very hard for our good luck. It's not good luck; it's hard work. We've got brilliant client partners where we do actually have a healthy partnership in, in. the majority of the cases, but it been in places in the past where that's just not the case, right? Mm. So, jump how high and at this price, and everything else, I mean, we, we can't survive like that. And uh, our, our clients wouldn't want us to devalue our people or our product like that. And so, that dynamic I still think needs a little bit of fixing up as well.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, you know, this is in a world, and we've been tracking uh, this since 2007. Wow. Well that media agency fees adjusted, inflation adjusted, have actually decreased. We have a thing called a MSMU. It's like rather than talking about an FTE, because the thing about an FTE is it could be, you know, a senior person or a junior person and that's an FTE. An SMU is a bundle of resources. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a more standardised point, mm-hmm. right? And what we've found is that the value of one of these MSE. MSMUs, Mm. has actually decreased Mm. by over 70% since 2007. Wow. And this is the downward pressure Mm. on the industry. Mm. So it's interesting from the point of view that if a model was based on servitude, Mm. i.e. servicing the client, Mm. that marketers have enjoyed in the last 13 years Mm. a significant drop in the cost of those services at the same time that the complexity of media mm-hmm. has gone up exponentially. Agreed. And uh, where the demands on the media agency have also gone up significantly. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't seem sustainable.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think it comes back as well to quite a deep, I don't know, I mean, this is, I guess, I think it comes down to a deep sense of pride or purpose or lack of in the value that we actually offer. I think the, the communications industry, media and creative, are both vital in supporting communications and the economy, by the way. yeah. But I think that because we've in, allowed this sort of um, mentality to continue for so long, I think it's actually etched away at a devalued sense of purpose and pride in people in the industry. And so an, an example of that is overworking, double working, triple working on things, you're quite frankly not paid to do. Mm -hmm. And thereby do not only, you know, obviously out of scope is an issue, but devaluing the actual product of what we do. I mean, Having done bits, you know, parts of consulting for some pretty big businesses, a lot of the intelligence that we offer, I know a lot of the intelligence that my team offer is absolutely up there in some ways more relevant than some of the professional services offerings. And yet we don't charge anywhere near as much of that. We don't. Mm. We charge for time, not thinking. We charge for things and people, not outputs. And because of that, there's this constant sort of push and nudge as to how much more can we get out of these agencies versus actually valuing the product that is very often very carefully crafted and incredibly well-meaning. So that comes to, has to come down to a sense of why would you, why would you give your ideas away for free or work for free? which comes down to pride or purpose in an industry that's forgotten how to have confidence.
0: And look, a lot of procurement people say to me, well, if that's the case, Darren, why do the agencies still offer or accept to do it for less and less? And I go, but you've also got to understand that it's a highly competitive market. Yeah, yeah. And that if price becomes the difference between winning or losing, then it's very hard for an agency to pass on price, especially if you're part of a holding company or, you know, an independent is probably more likely to make that decision yeah. because it's their business. Yeah. But if you're in a hierarchical structure where you're responsible for hitting certain numbers, mm-hmm. to be able to say, we're going to pass on this mm-hmm. because you know it's just not right for us, mm-hmm. you then have to answer up the chain yeah. because it has an impact on share prices and all sorts of things. Yeah,
1: yeah. But you, be, I think you have to make those calls and, and they're not easy calls to make. And they require strong business casing. We've we've made those calls. We've had a, you know a couple of scenarios where we've qualified very thoroughly and had to walk away. And, and you know even even before we get into process of pitching, because you've got to run it, you've got to run a bu- you've got to run a bunch of people like a business. Otherwise, you have no business and you have no people. Yeah. And if we sign up for something that we can't actually fulfill, then it's detrimental to the business and the group anyway. So there have been a couple of examples where we've. I mean, it's taken some good, healthy debate, as it should. Right? It's been tested by people in the business and the group, as it should. Um, but we've made a decision not to do a couple of things.
0: Because mm. you've always had just, and and I want to check this with you, but you seem to have always had a very strong uh, people focus. I mean, uh, and and if you don't mind me, yeah, this is when well, this must have been one of your first jobs, was it? The second uh, job. Second <laughs> job at uh, Euro RSC. GKLP, uh, Havis Group. And it's actually here, you, uh, you're, you're the youngest director, is that right? Yeah. And it's, uh, there's a quote here, hard work and be nice to people, win and have fun, support and grow great talent. So that's yeah. your, your second job. Yeah. You're already focusing on things around, you know, being nice to people, growing and supporting talent. Yeah. You know, you already had a very strong people focus as a management style. Mm. Where did that come from?
1: Um, probably my first boss, uh, my first boss was awesome and my second one well, most of my bosses have been awesome. A couple have been a bit weird. But my first two bosses were instrumental, I think. and uh, the first one uh, was a very strong female um, and very very smart and always had a level of authenticity and care about her practice and her she was not a pushover. she was strong. She was determined, but also um, incredibly caring. And the same for my second boss, who you'll probably know who he is. He was awesome. Um, he's still around. And they—they. Uh, they, I guess I just, yeah, I responded to their way of managing and leading. And look, I'm, my team will tell you, I'm not, I'm not necessarily easy. I'm definitely not a pushover. But I really do care about the people in our business, you know. As I said, I want them to have their best career years at UM. not them to look back and go... That was that was a brilliant few years. I learned so much. I did things that I would never do. I was out of my comfort zone, but in a way, I felt supported, and I think that's what grows you as a human, as an individual. So, probably from those first two bosses and a bit of family influence, maybe too.
0: Because that was uh, a creative role, wasn't it? Yeah. Your creative agency then. Yeah. And uh, and your next job at publicist Triangle. You were a crea- that's creative as well. Yes. And then you got into coaching. Yes. Now, what what brought that about? Was that an extension of that same philosophy or?
1: It was um, at the time I was looking to go. and Sorry, executive
0: yeah. coaching, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: yeah. At the time I was looking to go back to London for a few reasons and in, in the interim there was actually a couple of people that we will probably both know in our industry that I had a few beers with over that period of time and they said, well, why, don't you, why don't you consult back to us now that you're not the competition? Like, it would be great if you could come and help fix up X, Y, Z. And so I just thought, I'll do this for a few months and and see how it goes while I'm planning out the London thing that was going on at the time. And, uh, and so during that period, I thought, well, I, I met a lot of executive coaches who were talking with CEOs and, and, and the like and helping structure or restructure businesses. And they were doing it off word of mouth and experience, which is awesome. But I felt that there needed to be, for my own authenticity, a level of new experience and new development within that. So I went and studied. I mean, it ended up taking, I think, a couple of years to study for master-level executive coaching, which also has an element of psychology in it and all this sort of stuff. And I'm really pleased I did, because being a coach is completely different to being a business leader, obviously, Um, but where you've developed potentially a lot of your one success on jumping in, doing things, making decisions, coaching is the opposite. Mm. Hold silence, hold space, don't own the answer, don't jump in. And that was a really interesting challenge for me personally. Um, and I met some amazing people. I worked with Coca-Cola, eBay, AFL, and you know a few of the networks at the time as well, but not in competition. And did some really interesting, great work with lots of very senior, very experienced people. And it reminded me how great people are. I think that's really one person in the whole period of that time that actually had any ill will. Even if they were outright tyrant leaders by the outside of it, they were all genuinely... Trying to do the right thing, but just needed a space to um, consider that thing, so yeah, it was a very interesting and ended up being a very successful business. Yeah,
0: and do you think that there's things that a training as a coach and practicing those skills actually makes you a better manager or a better leader?
1: I'd hope so. Um, I think that I'm uh, if team are listening, They won't believe this. I'm probably less um, directive than I used to be. I listen more than I used to. And even if things get really tough, I have an innate sense sense that people are trying to come from the best place they can come from. I don't think there's many purely malicious people in our industry, believe it or not.
0: It's really interesting that you'd say that because, you know, it It's a weird conversation for me to have with clients when they're talking about their agencies. And I I always get to see, in many ways, the worst. Yeah. Yeah, it's like being in, you know, people say marriage guidance. You know, it's more Mm -hmm. like a therapy where they come and they're complaining about their agency. And at some point I usually say, you do realise that the people don't come to work at the agency to do a bad job or to screw up or to upset you. Yeah. They actually turn up each day wanting to do a fabulous job. Mm-hmm. So you've got to remember that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Things go wrong, but then things go wrong naturally. Mm-hmm. And you also have to ask yourself how often and what level of contribution you're making to that. Mm-hmm especially when there's, you know, and there's certain marketers in the in the industry mm. that are, in, are known for going through agency after agency. Mm. And I, I often say, you know, it's like the man that's been married five times yeah. and said, so I, I could never find the right partner. Mm. Well, the only thing in common was them. Maybe they need to look at themselves mm. Mm. before they go and find another agency.
1: Yeah, I mean, one and one equals three, right? So yeah. they have to, as with everybody, whether you are whether you like someone or you don't like someone or a situation you're in, you are in relation. And whether you like it or not, you're in relation. And that relation third space is formed out of one person and another person or party. So everyone has to take a level of responsibility for making sure it's the best relationship it can be. Um, And I think that that's important to remember in our business because it is busy, people get stressed. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's the intention of that relationship. And it's up to all of us to try and make it easy and fun as well.
0: Mm. You uh, you then went from coaching to uh, being Chief Marketing Officer and Business Development at um, Mediacom. Yes. So that'd be... Because if I remember rightly, that was a, during that time, it was a bit of a heyday for yeah, was. Mediacom, wasn't it?
1: Yes, we, we worked very hard. It was a great bunch of people. Um, I was initially brought in by Toby, as was in my consulting coaching role, and then ended up just basically working with him full-time and Pedge and the others. So, um, yeah, we had, I think, a few years of completely resetting the whole business. Uh, it was hard work. It was good work. Good team. Worked really well together. Um, and then when I left there, a very different structure to the one that I joined and helped co-create. Um, and, yeah, su- I'm super proud of what it was at the time. And obviously, still a lot of friends there and still friends with a lot of people that have left there. And it was very sad to see how that sort of went down a while ago. But I, hope, I think they're recovering. I think they're getting there.
0: Well, because you left there what uh, about nine months before uh, we had all of that uh, mm-hmm. that news about the um, the clients finding uh, what, what, how do you, how would you put it? You know, let's just say poor, poor performance or poor behaviour around reporting. Yeah. But but I want to go back a step and that is in that role because it's very interesting from my perspective running pitches. Mm-hmm. But as someone that's you know responsible for growing the business or creating opportunities to grow the business. Mm. What do you have any thoughts around sort of essential strategies mm. that a media agency should be doing. You know, cuz many many people in media agencies feel commoditized. Yeah. You know, because yeah. at the core of it, most people offer very similar services. Yeah. Then you've got the people. Yeah. You know, and how do I communicate? We've got a great team. I mean, only a minute ago you said it was a great team of people. You yeah. Know. yeah. How do you communicate that other than interacting with people? Yeah. You know, what do you see that role? Or how does that role work as a way of putting you on the map?
1: I think um, in answer to your question of, you know, what are the what are the few things that are vital to that or how, how it works I think um that's ultimate you know that's that's the, the magic source isn't it I, I, I don't think it's rocket science in the sense of some of the practices that have always worked well in humans and in business is still true I think you have to have an authentic purpose and and that's not a glib tagline on a wall no. or a few words that you know sound good in a pitch deck it, it, you have to have authentic purpose I think when you really believe and understand why you're doing what you're doing and also what you're not going to do and why, then you can create around that a product that is compelling, that people are proud to talk about. Um, And it's why one of my old CFOs said to me, you know, I'm the best non-sales person ever because I tend to lead things I believe in. Mm. And when you have an authentic belief that you can help fix something with what you have, then it just becomes about relationship development and making sure those things fit well together. But I think without that, proper purpose, it doesn't have to be fluffy and navel-gazing and six months in creation, the reason why you're doing something, then I think everything else just gets a bit um, uh, fickle. So Mm. I I think that's what needs to be. I
0: really like the authentic purpose because I think too often we see and hear discussions around brand purpose where it's been created. You know, it's almost like picked off the wall because that seems to fit well. Mm. But what you're talking about is the sort of visceral reason that if you went through the agency and asked people, you know, why do you work here? What What's the purpose? Mm. They would all say the same thing because it's so much the part of the culture of the place. You know, it's mm. when you walk in there, you get the sense of purpose mm. coming from the very team that you were talking about before. Yeah. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and then, and then you have to live it, right? I mean, you have to do it and you have to live it. And that's not easy sometimes because you will always get moments where you're conflicted or challenged around that purpose. Um, now's a really good example with what we have going on around us in society right now. Living up to your purpose is critical. Mm. And I'd like to think we are in many different ways. But there's always more we can do and we should always try and do more. Otherwise, we're not growing. So I, I think that role was... Um, it was it was created to, you know, evolve and support the business at the time, and I think that we did really well for a number of reasons, but I think that it was because we had a very good collegiate sense of purpose as a bunch of people and as a business, um, you know. Mm. I mean, it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, um, you mentioned Mediacom, and, and, you know, that led on to in the US in 2015 there was... Uh, then the K2 report for the ANA over there about agency rebates. And, and it seems like since then anyone that's working in media, uh, the word transparency seems to go on and on and on. you know Everyone needs to uh, be more transparent. Yeah. And even just, what was it, only a month or so ago, we got another report from ISBAR and PwC into the uh, transparency of uh, programmatic. Mm-hmm you know, where uh, PwC couldn't find 15% of the money that went in. You know, how much do you think this is still hanging over the industry Um, and how much of it is putting the onus on the agencies to somehow make the whole supply chain transparent?
1: Yeah. Um... How much it's still ha- I think, I think I think it's definitely still hanging around and I think that anything that uh, makes our clients feel there's not a level of visibility and control which is ultimately what transparency is about then should absolutely be looked at and checked and investigated we're audited massively we have the Australian government we have a very uh, conscious way of ensuring our clients have visibility and control as as much of the change we possibly can that's within our control and and within um they absolutely do and it is. I think that uh, so and anything that feels black box box-esque, s black box x esque should be looked into for sure because um, there should always be trust and trust has to be earned and when it's broken it's hard so I think it's still around a bit probably less so hopefully because I think a lot of businesses like ours I know we are very um, adamant about making sure our clients see visibility and control in what they do and how they do it and how it's measured and how it's reported and and so on and so on so. Yeah, I think it's better, but it's still there. In terms of your, your second question being how much could we ever expect in, in the world of
0: bots also And also because the onus seemed to be very heavily on the media agencies. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the transparency seemed to sit with, you know, the requirement to be transparent sat with the media agencies. Mm. And I think mm. one of the things that the PwC Isbar report shows mm. is that it's actually the supply chain... Mm you know the programmatic supply chain mm. which is often way beyond the agency's control
1: yeah and i think that's there's good and bad in that in the sense of i think we probably got a lot of the flack for that situation because they trust us or they felt that you know us as the custodians of that entity should be trusted to understand that more and and i, th- I think that's fair to say but we don't know what we don't know either and in some of the tech entities where there is more complexity then it is harder to understand Mm. the ins and outs of some of this dynamic media because it is completely different to what we used to do. So I I think it's definitely got better. There's more transparency and visibility. Our acquisition of Axiom helps with that in terms of the data that we ingest being more Mm. ethical and more governed than most, which is why we're super proud of that because that then supports our data spine. And we are also um, having a healthy conversation with... um, Integral Science meet. I can't mm-hmm. I think that's very Integral Ad Science yeah, I, I. This yes, is very yeah. this is very recent where we're trying to see how much further we can get down the chain of understanding Um, also understanding that at some point there is a level of dynamism that we just can't configure out because it's bots and algorithms and they're doing some sort of stuff but we should understand as much as we can going in with the data because then obviously what we get out will be smarter and better mm. so that's we, are, um, we have a whole team on this, obviously, as you can mm. imagine, within the group and within the U.M., and our chief of data and technology is absolutely razor-focused on this to make sure that the data we bring and build with and for our clients is of the best quality it possibly can be, governed in the best way it is, to ensure that we can see as much as we can going through so that we can edit and optimize as we might need to, or at least make the choice going in on what we might do or not do, as the case may be. And every conversation that we've had around that has been open and fine. You know, I Mm. think that it's uh, different people in different businesses and different companies at different life stages. Tech companies are much younger than traditional companies. That doesn't mean that they shouldn't uh, adhere to certain measurements, but it's a different way of working for a lot of them.
0: Mm. Uh, I find it interesting because in some ways, transparency is good from the perspective of, as you say, having some control or some you know, being informed and being able to make informed decisions. But sometimes a, a pursuing transparency with that, and losing sight of things like performance mm-hmm. is also mm. a problem as well. Yeah. Because ultimately, you know, a media agency is, I think you used the word custodian, mm-hmm. you know, is the custodian of that investment. Mm. And so there's also a requirement to deliver performance. Mm.
1: And, that, and, that, and that's why we up front and regularly have a conversation about visibility and control. Like h- how much do you want or need? Because we can share with you as much as we can possibly share with you or we'll give you as much as you need or want to see. Equally, do you want to focus on that or do you want to focus on the outcome of what we are trying to do and the business outcomes that we're driving to mm-hmm. ensure that performance is supported and, and trust us to be able to do that? I guess it's finding the place between just trust us because we know what we're doing versus so much uh, detail and visibility and control that it just creates more complexity yeah. for the clients. So we, I mean, as, as part of the course of our clients, every every quarter we have a sort of QBR around operation and management. And obviously every year we do our own review with them as well to make sure that all of these areas are clear. So what we call the IQ and the EQ of what we do. Yeah. So are you comfortable with the intelligence and craft that we are delivering and how we do that, but also the EQ. If you don't trust, why do you not trust? And and so if anything comes up, we have these conversations in advance. Um, So far, touch wood, it's been okay.
0: Because there's a a very good TEDx talk about trust. Mm -hmm. And I've forgotten the name of the professor. She's a Harvard professor. And Mm -hmm. she says there's three requirements for trust. The first is demonstrating empathy. Mm -hmm. That I'm actually Mm -hmm. here for Mm -hmm. you. Mm not mm-hmm. just for myself. Mm-hmm. The second is to prove knowledge, mm. you know, that I have something, you know, some mm. knowledge, information, intelligence, capability mm. that you would find necessary mm. or desirable. Mm. And then the third one's interesting. It's about talk, making sense or talking logic. Mm. But she says you have to be careful about how you interpret that because It's about talking in a way Mm. that the person you're talking to understands and it makes Mm. sense to them. Mm. And I think sometimes that when we Mm. look at technology Mm. and especially the people that are working in it, they may be talking something that's logical, Mm. but they're not talking to the listening of the person they're talking to. Absolutely. And so that's where the break in in, um, trust comes Mm -hmm. because they're just not talking the same language. And I think it's it's a really interesting area. So when you mm. mentioned IQ and EQ, mm. you know, getting that balance right is so important mm. because you can have all these smarts in the world. Mm. Mm. But if you're not actually talking to your client mm. in the way that they understand and feel comfortable, mm. then you're really not talking to them.
1: Yeah. There's, there's also something that we, uh, it's been highlighted that we sort of do or I do, which didn't really realize, I guess, but is listening to what's not said from mm. clients. So just understanding, because um, even though they can ask any question they want, I think, you know, because it is the whole, the whole era of the data geek and it's the moment to confuse everybody because it creates power and territory for some people or, or entities and, and whatever. But because of that and some active confusion, clients are still sometimes not comfortable asking questions. They think, I should know this stuff. Mm. even the people that do this stuff don't know this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's constantly changing. It's dynamic. It depends what frame you put it into and how you want to talk about it um, and what context. And then when they don't, then you can create more and more. You're under trust. without even knowing it. So making sure we pick up gently to what's not being said, I think, is, is our job as well.
0: So it takes me back um, to something you said much earlier about the need for for having sustainable business models so that we're going to have more senior people throughout agencies because it's one of those things that as you get older, you you in some ways get more secure Mm -mm. in who you are, that you feel comfortable asking what most people would say is the dumb question Mm -mm. because often the dumb question is the question that everyone in the room wanted Mm -mm. to ask Mm -mm. but was too embarrassed or or, or potentially risked being ashamed to ask. Mm, mm. So I think, yeah, it's a great way if we can train or help people feel more comfortable asking those questions. Because um, after you left Mediacom, you went back to executive coaching. I love mm. the name of the business, Wild and Safe. Yeah. That's a great name. Yeah. It's a great yeah. juxtaposition.
1: Yeah, and that's really why it was created, I think, at the time. I think it might have been created you'd glasses of wine with some friends. But anyway, it was... Um, the intent that when you're in your most natural self, you're in your best self, mm-hmm. um, to some extent. But that needs to be a space where you can feel protected, um, you know, without being fluffy about it. Just so the people that would have the space to have the conversations that one would have as a executive coach or consultant is a protected, safe space. And yeah, I mean, nothing was off the table. So everything would come up, and uh, that was the intention. I was, yeah, yeah.
0: It's quite funny then because then you go back to uh, into agency land. Yes. I, I feel like it's Remember a scene track. from The Godfather. You know, just as I get out, they <laughs> reel me back in. Or did you happily go back?
1: It was a, a very interesting conversation that I had with Danny and Lee at the time. Um, I wasn't ex- I wasn't expecting it at all, actually. There was other things kicking around and the UK was kicking around. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I think we had, a, we had a few conversations. I sort of did say if I went back into an agency in this market, it would only be UM. um I know Baxter very well and, and worked with him at Naked Days on Coca-Cola. We used to both work on Coca-Cola when I first arrived here. Um, so, yeah, we talked about what was going on, talked about what was needed, talked about what I would like to do, things that I care about, how the team are going, and thought, okay, let's... Give it a go. Yeah.
0: And how long ago was that? That's
1: nearly three years.
0: Well, clearly a good decision yeah. because, yeah. Uh, you know, UM seems to be yeah. powering along.
1: Yeah, we, we look we have our challenges like everybody. Uh, we've, we've done really well. We've worked really hard. Um, we've recrafted what we do. We're going to continue to recraft what we do and how we do it, which I'm really excited about. And it's a brilliant bunch of people who care about what they do and are Pretty bloody clever as well. That has its own challenges because they also care what they do, and so putting mm. back on certain things is important as well. Um, yeah, I'm very proud of what we've achieved. Very proud, but it's it's never a it's never done. Changes every single day.
0: Mm. Look, I've just noticed the time. Uh, it's been fabulous, Fiona. Thank, thank you thank for you. making time and thank coming you. and having a chat.
1: Thank you. It's been lovely talking with you.
0: And uh, look, just one question before you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the next step of Fiona Johnson? <laughs>